Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campia Show, coming from right here on our YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Joining me here today is one Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Back there is Ray Ora. Also, Taylor Gonzalez is there with a oh, guy right. running the show today, Jonathan oh, Voico. And that's <laughs> his lower third guy in there. And of course, Chris Carr is joining us here today as well. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break into two parts. The first part of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. And then the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. So get ready to fire those in as we get to the end of our main topics. All right, guys, before we get into our topics here, I, I just want to give a big special thank you. We had hundreds of people show last night, sold out, packed house. Uh, for our first uh, an evening with Campia, Harloff, and Alba. Uh, I was kind of stunned to show up to the building to see this lineup going around the block that came in. True story. Turns out um, John Mulaney ended up opening for us. He did a surprise stand-up appearance on the stage that that uh, we were then taking over. They finished, cleared out the thing. Our folks then went in. Uh, got a bunch of pictures here from last night. Just go through some of them. Uh, that's the room that we performed in. It was crazy packed shoulder to shoulder. Uh, there we are. There's Greg and I signing some autographs and, and taking pictures with, with fans who came out afterwards. Um, that's me, Christian, and Greg up on the stage. We had a great time. A uh, few more there. That was just, it, it looks like I'm calling somebody out. No, we were just uh, <laughs> picking people in the audience to ask questions. Uh, and that was me, I don't know, doing a John Travolta Saturday Night Fever dance, I think. Uh you know, Greg and Christian were just awesome last night. It was really great and a lot of fun to do this with them. And we're kind of maybe looking at doing more of these in the future uh, as we move forward. So, again, a big, big thank you to everybody who came out last night. It was so much fun. We all had a blast. And thank you to everybody. We had people who showed up who flew in from Kansas City, uh, Georgia, St. Louis, Mexico, a bunch of people drove up from San Diego. Actually, a fellow movie YouTuber, Sean Chandler, uh, who does a lot of the fan expos and stuff like that. He's got a great channel. He flew in from Texas to come and be wow. there last night. It was We followed each other on social media for a long time, but it was really a thrill to, to meet him in person last night. It was just wonderful time all around. So thank you again to everybody who came and showed up. All right. With that down... Let's get into our main topics here today, shall we? we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, the first thing up is this. Now, we're in the home stretch now for the Oscars. Final Oscar voting, I believe, is March 2nd. I think that's when the final Oscar vote is, is tallied and what have you. And it, it looks like a lot of the races are heating up. I still think the front runner is the Fablemans and a whole bunch of stuff. But a couple of big award shows happened over the last couple of days. Yes. And one of those big ones is the DGA, the Directors Guild of America. This is all the directors. And they decide they were choosing, they deemed as the best director of the year last night. And in a little bit of a surprise, the winners were the Daniels. From everything, everywhere, all at once, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schreiner, they won, they took home the best Director word. Now, everybody was talking all night about Steven Spielberg, including the Daniels, but it came down to it. The Daniels ended up taking home the best director award. Now, did I think Spielberg would win like he's won a few of the others already this year? Yes. But the reason I'm not stunned 
by this, a little surprised, but not stunned, is not only was everything all everywhere all at once an absolute masterpiece of a movie. I I mean, I it was for nine tenths of the year it was my favorite movie of the year until I saw Fiddleman's. But this movie is brilliant. It is all direction. I mean, when you watch this movie, it's just the the kinetic pace of it, the everything about it, it's all about a very, very well planned out, meticulously executed direction from start to finish. So while I would have personally voted for Spielberg last night, I have no problems with the Daniels taking it home. But here's what's really interesting, Rob, is that I've been reading a lot of the trades and a lot of them have been saying, and I agree, that kind of the front runner has been the Fablemans heading into the Oscar season. But lately there have been signs of momentum shifting towards everything, everywhere, all at once. And the DGAs going to the Daniels could now make, again, I, I, Variety, the Hollywood Report, they're now kind of saying that the front runner might have to be considered to be everything, all, everywhere, all at once, which I, again, would have no problem with. Anyway, you heard about the Daniels taking home the, the best uh, direction of a feature film award last night. What did you think? It did not surprise me because, you know, it was funny because yesterday I was watching also the BAFTAs in real time. and. Which we'll I, talk about in just yeah, a minute here. But but I I like you said, you know, they wrote it, they directed it, and it really is. I mean, it's a that movie could have gone south very quickly. And the fact that it doesn't, the fact that they were they they pulled off some audacious things in this film. And they had to have the kind of vision, you know, it harks back to Swiss Army Man, the, their first movie. Like who could have pulled that off? You know, if it, no one except them right and i think that everyone everything everywhere all at once is really a singular vision that's what makes it an exciting movie only they could have made it someone else would have made it differently and it really is that movie is really brilliantly directed from the i mean they had to have planned it uh it's gorgeous and they deserve to they deserve to win because no one's ever made a movie like that before chris uh, i mean there's a from everything of uh Banshees of Inishirin, The Fablemans, Tar, uh, the DGA recognized and gave the best direction award of the year to the Daniels for everything, everywhere, all at once. Surprise, not surprised, deserving, not deserving. What do you think? I think very, very well deserved. I mean, you got to remember, too, this is a board of directors voting on this. And the way that they play with genre, the way that they use cinematography, the way they worked with their entire teams, you know this is an absolute directorial feat. They did such incredible work here. And really, it's a pair of auteurs doing amazing, amazing stuff. Spielberg himself said of the film, it was the best bagel he ever had. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, my biggest takeaway from the DJs too, which you guys can stream on YouTube as well, you can catch up on the whole thing, is everyone was just so inspired by one another. And it's really, really lovely when you see creators just really enjoying each other's work, even when it is as varied as this year. You know, Banshees couldn't be more different than some of the other films we've seen. And to have all of them just really, really give such praise to one another was really, really lovely to watch. But I think they deserved it, and I'm glad they got it. Guys, questions for you. What do you think? Do you think this gives more momentum to everything, everywhere, all at once heading into the Oscars? A lot of the trades now are thinking it is going to be the movie to beat going in, maybe superseding films like The Fablemans, Banshees, All Quiet on the Western Front and others. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's stay on the topic of award season, shall we? Because the DGAs weren't the only mm -hmm. big award ceremony that were held in the last couple of days. The Baptists were also handed out. 
and it couldn't have muddied the waters any more than it did <laughs> because not just a big the big winner of the evening was not the Fablemans, was not Everything Everywhere All at Once, was not Banshees of Inishirin, wasn't Tar or Top Gun or Avatar or any of the rest of them. The big winner of the evening was All Quiet on the Western Front, which set a record for 14 nominations and won seven awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, everything Everywhere once only ended up walking away with one award. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin and uh, Elvis walked away with four each, I believe. But by, by far, the big winner of the evening was All Quiet on the Western Front. The movie is brilliant. Rob, I know it was one of your absolute favorite movies of the year, uh, as it was for a lot of people who watched it. But I think this has to hit, despite the fact that it set a record for 14 nominations, I mean, again, everybody else is looking at Banshees of Inishirin, uh, Everything Ever All at Once, and The Fablemans. This kind of throws a wrench in. Now, again, I mentioned that most of the trades are still are now setting that Everything Ever All at Once is probably the front runner going to the Oscars. But then The Baptist come out and it does this, and it really mucks things up and causes a little bit more confusion to it. What do you think about the results of The Baptist last night? I think that the they should not be an indicator for the Oscars. Because European audiences, especially the subject matter, uh, is far more resonant yeah. to Europeans than it is to us Agreed. here in America. And I think the film's extraordinary. Um, you know, they've they made some really interesting changes to the what's not it, things that weren't in the book that that accentuated uh, the role of some German uh, politicians and things like that. That's very interesting. This film's astonishing. It's hard to watch. Um, but again, it's just, you're never going to have this subject matter resonate with Academy voters the way it does with British voters because world war one, the great war, the war to end all wars. Um, you know, we were, we weren't just, yes, we fought in world war one, but it was a European conflict. They still talk about today. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is not something that it just, it just doesn't resonate with us, but the BAFTAs also had like Barry Keegan one for Banshees of Inisherin, Carrie Conrad, Conrad won as well for both. They won their supporting actor categories. That was interesting, though. Yeah, that was. I was like mm-hmm. that, and of course, Kate Blanchett did win for Tar, which no surprise there. And Austin Butler won for Elvis, which that was interesting because again, like in Europe, especially in the UK, pop music means more, I think, to more uh, audiences than it does here because even older audiences are very into pop music in the uk it's kind of a different audience the fact that elvis won was i think a big deal that's a that's an indicator i think austin butler does move up at least in the conversation of the front runner for winning the oscar here for it's, that role. it's funny because I, I think most of the buzz has been still about uh colin farrell i know it's still been about brennan frazier um, so it's interesting, but but it's safe to say that you still consider going into the Oscars at All Quiet on the Western Front, despite the BAFTA win, is still a dark horse to no, take, no, to take something it, big. No, it's going to win Best International Film. It's right. not But, but not win. Best Picture. No. You say it's a dark horse for Best Picture. No, All right. it's not. Chris, uh, you heard about this. Listen, everything Rob said about like the, the taste of the, the European and the British voters, absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Still surprised me. 
Still surprised me 100%. that it did. Do you think this moves the needle at all? Like this, the big night for All Quiet on the West Front moves the needle at all for what we can expect at the Oscars? I do. I think it does muddy the waters a little bit. And I think it speaks to how subjective film is, particularly this year. I mean, all over the awards, we've seen so much different stuff, right? And to Rob's point, it's really hard to not view things with Americentrism. Like I see things as an American, right? So I have a very American nationalist kind of view of things, right? That is very okay, I grew up and went to this school system. I understand our history. I understand their history to an extent, but not in the way that feels personal, right? When you watch a Civil War film here, when I grew up in the South, you know, those monuments are still around. That history is still around. And it really, really resonates in a very, very different way. Whereas, you know, these films about World War II and everything really hit close to home. You still have buildings that are, you know, preserved that were bombed and everything there. So it's a very, very present history for them too. But I do think that this goes to show that really anyone is up for anything. I do think Rob's correct in that this is going to probably take best foreign feature, but I do think it does move the needle and makes a lot more discussion for it having some merit for that best picture not, or best picture win rather. All right, guys. Question is for you. I, I mean, a couple of big of some of the, couple of the biggest award ceremonies: the BAFTAs, the DGAs. Different winners, different highlights. How do you see all this shaking out in the Oscars coming up? We are getting closer to the big day. Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Mint Mobile is my mobile service provider. You can't ask for better for just 15 bucks a month. Make sure you can go and check out mintmobile.com slash campia. If you guys have a question for the show, you'd like to call it on in, go ahead and call our hotline number anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259. Leave your voicemail there and you just might hear it on the show. And right now somebody's calling in and asking about Hey, with uh, looking at the bloaters, do you think they're going to do CGI for the thing in Fantastic Four? Check it out. Hey, Geo and crew, this is Drew in Arkansas. I got a question for you about Fantastic Four. Now that we've seen the way that The Last of Us handled the effects on the bloater, do you think Fantastic Four will use practical for the thing, like Michael Chiklis, or CGI, like what they did with Jamie Bell, or a combination of both? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for calling that in, Drew. You know, it's funny that you did because I, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit the other day. I think it was during one of our um, taking viewer questions, yeah. things that that sort of came up. Look, it's a really great question. I, like a lot of people, when they showed that that picture got released of the person in the bloater costume and uh, a production assistant there with them helping him out and stuff like that, we were all like, wait, what? Now... You can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe in The Last of Us when the bloater... I do believe there was some CGI, some practical. I, I don't know that it was all practical because some of the stuff did look quite... But I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that. So let's look at the thing. The thing is interesting because you're right. They did do the thing in a practical, physical costume before. Uh, a couple of times going back to the one that we shall never speak about. And again, Michael Chiklis's, which by the way, I don't care. I like Michael Chiklis's the thing. I did too. I, I did. I like Michael Chiklis's the thing and like Chris Evans is Johnny Storm. I may not have liked the movies overall, but I like them. And, and there he is in the costume. Now, if you want to though have a more fantastical thing, I, there's just not a way to do it in a practical sense. 
at least there's not a way to do it in a practical sense that will come anywhere close to looking as good as you could do it in CGI. Because say what you want about the most recent Fox Fantastic Four movie. I think the way they scaled thing and the size of him and the design of the character, I thought it was actually quite good. I, I thought it looked quite wonderful. And I really think they're going to go more that route. I think they're going to kind of hulk the the thing. I don't think you're going to see a thing as a human-sized guy who just happens to be big and covered in rocks. I think they're going to go for a eight-foot-tall sort of thing. And when if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to Jar Jar Binks it. You're going to have an actor on stage with the little balls on him and all that kind of stuff, and they'll go with that. But, I mean, listen, that doesn't take away from the possibility that there could be an opportunity for more intimate close-up shots, maybe doing some... We've seen that happening more and more lately, right? Where they will cut back and forth between a CGI shot and then for the closer, more intimate shots, maybe a, a practical effect, a practical puppet, practical makeup, whatever... So it'll probably be a mix of the two, but I, I'm telling you, I still kind of feel like it will, for the, at least the majority, be CGI. Chris, we, we've been talking about this a lot, especially now with something like The Last of Us coming out and doing such a great job with practical makeup visual effects. Do you think, as we're looking forward to Fantastic Four, when we finally get this Ben Grimm, the thing, on screen again, a new iteration, mm -hmm. are they going to try more practical? They're going to stick with CGI. What do you think? <laughs> Third time's the charm, hopefully. Um, I We're going to be like old El Paso salsa. Why not both? Why can't you do both things? We've seen it with The Last of Us. And we've seen it with Stranger Things. You have practical makeup, and then you enhance it with CGI. And I think that's the way to go. You get the best of both worlds. It's a Hannah Montana situation. So just do both. Do both well. And have a really great makeup team. And Marvel works with really incredible, incredible people. My friend Kimberly Grasick has worked on Doctor Strange, and she does phenomenal makeup and i believe they'd be able to do something really cool and they could just enhance everything with a bit of cgi rob what do you think what's the best way for them to go here with ben Grimm? well the picture that we just had up i think with the thing the michael chiklis version of the thing basically had human proportions yes and i think you know exaggerated but yeah human. the thing the thing fights the hulk in the comics i think and they've got such great um i mean there's your they, they're even, they're even going to go more extreme than that. I think. I think it's yeah. Gonna no, be, tell me if you want. I, I actually don't mind the design. No, I don't either. I think that they're going to go all CG, but motion capture the same way they've done the Hulk, the same way they've done Thanos. They have a a, a workflow already. They know exactly how to do it, and I think that that's probably for Marvel because they're going to have to they're going to have to change his proportions and make the thing look significantly larger than a human male. And I think the only way to do that, but that's not to say they might do some kind of, but I mean, even facial close-ups, they're so good at doing that now with the Hulk and with- Yeah, look at the Na'vi and Avatar. Uh, and yeah, and like Thanos was even, they got way close to his face and it was incredible. So it's going to definitely be motion capture, I think. It'll be motion capture, so it'll be physical, a man, a real man acting, a, the actor will be acting, but they'll use CG enhancement ultimately. All right, guys. The question is for you. We got a Fantastic Four movie coming up. At least they keep saying that. And how are they going to approach Ben Grimm, The Thing? Do you think they'll go more of the Michael Chiklis, the bloater route with some practical effects? There's been some success there. Or do you think they'll go more with the CGI route, Thanos, Hulk, where it can look incredible too? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we're going to take a break here for just a moment to thank a couple of the sponsors of today's episode of The John Campia Show, our friends at the Black Tux 
and fume. Hey guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, The Black Tux. It's time we had the talk. You know the one I'm talking about, the one that ends in the three-letter word. I'm talking about a tux. And when you need a tux, the best place to go to get one is The Black Tux. The Black Tux makes it super easy to get an on-trend, top-quality, guaranteed-to-fit tux without ever needing to leave your house. So here's how it works. Take The Black Tux Fit Quiz, pick the style you want to wear, and boom, your tux is delivered to your door 10 days before the day you need it. That's plenty of time to try it on and make sure it wears you well. And hey, if the fit's not quite right, say hello to the Black Tux Fit Guarantee. Order a better size within a day or two of receiving the less than great fitting one and they'll send another one right away at no extra cost. Their expert fit specialists will help you find the perfect style tux or suit and make sure it fits just right. Listen, I've been dubious in the past about online sites or apps that say they can get your measurements, but the fit quiz with the Black Tux works great. And man, I wish I had had these guys for so many events I've attended over over the years. So rent or buy, the Black Tux is the best place to go when you need a tuxedo for a wedding or a special night. And right now, when you go to theblacktux.com slash campia and use the code campia, you'll save $20 off your order. That's T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K-T-U-X dot com slash campia, code campia to save $20. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Be smart. Don't start. Kick the habit. Put it out before it puts you out. All phrases we've heard a hundred times, and yet we still continue to have bad habits. Today's sponsor, Fume, is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from the bad habits that consume far too many of us. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to help you trade out your negative habit for a positive one. You see, Fume is not a vape. It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits. Because instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape, Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. And Fume's new version 2 model is snappy and tactile. With an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap, your fingers will always have something to do. The device itself is really attractive, and once I popped in the core and took my first inhale of it, it tasted fantastic. Guys, the easiest way to stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one, and Fume is designed to perfectly do just that. So head over to tryfume.com and use the promo code CAMPIA to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. The Journey Pack comes with three unique flavors and the new version 2 fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfume, T-R-Y-F-U-M dot com and use the code CAMPIA to save an additional 10% off your order today. And thank you to our friends at the Black Tux and Fume for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down to the description of this video, you'll find links and promo codes for all of today's sponsors. And thank you again to the Black Tux and Fume. All right, guys, let's keep things going here. And you know what's special day today? Let's go back over to the Mint Mobile hotline question of the day because we're going to take a second one here today. And this one, hmm is asking, should the upcoming Avengers movies change their writers? Uh, check it out. Hey, John. Diego here from Chicago. And I wanted to call in because you know, I've been watching the show for a long time. You, Rob, Chris, always say that you know the foundation to any good movie is the story. And I think we all can agree, even the diehard MCU fans, that the writing in Phase 4 has left a lot to be desired. So this brings me to my question. Do you think Feige and the head of the studios at Disney should possibly reconsider 
who is writing Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. The writer for Kang Dynasty is Jeff Loveness, who just wrote Quantumania to uh, a lot of criticism, if you will. And Michael Waldron, who wrote Doctor Strange 2 and Loki, is penning Secret Wars. Again, another property that had a lot of criticisms towards their writing. So, yeah, just throwing it out there. Do you think they should consider possibly getting some new writers to make their movies a little bit better? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for calling that in, man. And you know what? This is actually quite interesting when you think about this because we have two giant movies coming out, right? Two giant, giant movies coming out in the two new Avengers films, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Now, Destin is directing Kang Dynasty, who, of course, did Shang-Chi, and that movie was freaking awesome. I love that movie so much. So... I feel comfortable with the director they've chosen. And, you know, even last night at the uh, event, we were talking about who could be the director for Secret Wars. And there's some thoughts that Ryan Coogler will be the one to direct it. Some thoughts that the Russo brothers might make a return to do that one. A, a lot of names are still up in there. A lot of good act directors who could do that. But should we be a little bit concerned, at least a little bit concerned, about who is writing these films? Um... Because as the, the viewer just wrote in, I don't know that the writing for the previous work of the writers who are on right now for Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty are quite frankly all that great at the moment. So let's look over at who is directing Avengers Kang Dynasty. It's Jeff Loveness. And uh, we can bring that up. Uh, you can bring up my screen there. He's if you like. writing it. He's writing it, not directing. He's, he's writing it. Jeff Loveness. Now, when you look at, let's put Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania aside for a second, which he just wrote, okay? When you go down and look at what he's done, okay, he did six episodes of Rick and Morty, all right? He did seven episodes of Miracle Workers, which I confess I have not seen. He did a short called Stock. He did some sketch writing for the Oscars, some sketch writing for the Emmys. He was a writer on Jimmy Kimmel. That's where he got most of his uh, experience. But that that's it. And quite frankly, the writing... And now look, I know there are a bunch of people, awesome, all film is subjective, a bunch of people quite enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And that's great. I unfortunately was not one of them. And the writing is definitely one of the reasons why. Now, I hate the notion of the recency bias that a lot of people have. It's like somebody can write 10 great movies, and if the last one they saw them write wasn't good, never let that person near another movie again. It's like, come on. Everybody's got a bad day at the office, right? So when I heard this question about, hey, should we re be replacing the writer for Kang Dynasty because they just did Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, my first reaction is to say, come on, one bad day at the office. But then when I sat down and started going through Jeff's resume, nothing else jumped out at me that I hate. Not, not at all. Some good stuff. But I looked at that resume and I went, is, is this the guy to write an Avengers movie? Just from the pure lack of feature film experience. And then you throw into that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I... I, I listen, I confess, you know me, I try to be more optimistic about this stuff, but I confess that 
my thought right now is, yeah, they need to change writers on, on Kang Dynasty. Now, look, I'm not saying don't let Jeff Loveness ever. No, no, no. He's clearly shown he's got some writing chops. I, let him write some other features, maybe some small. Not an Avengers movie. Because number one, I don't see the experience there to do it. And number two, the most recent thing we saw of his that was his one big feature film sort of thing. It, it As the, the caller put it, it left for me a little bit to be desired. Okay. Well, let's jump over then and look at Avengers Secret Wars. We know the person who's been brought on to do that is Michael Waldron. And by the way, he's supposedly also writing Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie. If that ever happens, don't know. But Michael Waldron, he recently did, uh, he did the Loki TV series, which I am not a, a huge fan of, to be honest. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike the Loki series, but I wasn't tremendously impressed with it. He did Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, which I enjoyed, but it's not one of the stronger MCU movies. I enjoyed it, but not one of the stronger ones. Uh, I know a few people who, who quite like the television series Heels uh, that he wrote like eight episodes on. And just like Jeff Loveness, he did some episodes of Rick and Morty, but I think he only did like one episode of Rick and Morty. So again, take out Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. He has no feature films, only Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. And I think the, the caller again is correct that if you were to boil down a lot of the weaknesses with Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, and again, I, I like the film. I like Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, although I had problems with it. Whether you like the movie or dislike the movie, I think the caller is right. I think it boils down to that. I think most people agree that the writing was not the strongest. And... Secret Wars is not just another MCU movie. This is supposed to be not an Avengers level threat. It's, it's a literally an Avengers movie. And so while I do not want, want to be one of these guys that's like, don't let that person near anything or bro, don't let that. Not at all. I, I'm still looking forward to seeing what Mark, Mark Waldron can do with other projects. Absolutely. But considering the state the MCU is in right now, which is not, I think everybody will agree, not the strongest state that the MCU has ever been in. They've, they've been stronger. I don't know that going into probably your two most important, obviously your two most important movies since Infinity War and Endgame, with writers that have that little experience and what feature film experience they do have has not been the strongest. Listen, I trust Kevin Feige. I do. But if it were up to me right now, being on the outside, looking in, not knowing all the information, not having heard all the pitches and not having seen all the outlines. I have to admit that this time I would have to kind of agree that I would feel more comfortable as an MCU fan if we find out in the coming weeks that, you know what, Waldron's been moved off Secret Wars and he's going to work on something else instead. And Loveness has been moved off Kang Dynasty and instead going to help develop another MCU project, whatever. I still want them working, but I would personally feel more comfortable if they weren't doing these two films. Anyway, Rob, I, I'm not trying to be negative or anything like this, but when we see what we've seen, how do you feel? Should Loveness and Waldron be writing these Avengers movies? Oh, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think if I could speculate, and again, I don't know these gentlemen, I know nothing about this, but I would look and say, the thing about Rick and Morty as a show, it does a very good job of dealing with hard-to-grasp science fiction and 
scientific concepts. It's a great science fiction show in the context of an animated series. I would imagine that both of these having both of them having Rick and Morty in their backgrounds and also working on films like the probability storm in quantum mania and concepts in the multiverse that Kevin Feige, like when he hires somebody like James Gunn looked at these guys and said, you know what? There aren't a lot of writers in Hollywood that get this. And I'll bet like when he hired somebody who didn't have a lot of experience, he's like, these dudes get it. He's like, these guys, not only do they work in comedy, they're, coming from backgrounds of like writing for the onion, but that I think that Rick and Morty thing. And this is just, again, speculating Kevin Feige's like, I think they're going to understand both the multiverse and the quantum realm, mm. because that's a very, both of those things are very Rick and Morty esque type things. So we hired them both. And on one hand, Dr. Strange made over $900 million. Yep, came close to the billion-dollar so, club, made a good it, amount so of money. in Hollywood, people have to understand that that's the end-all, be-all. $900 million for a, a Dr. Strange movie, it outgrossed the first Dr. Yep. Strange movie, and, and it's a hit. It's a huge hit. So Waldron writing that movie, good choice. Quantumania, the jury's still out. Is it going to drop like a rock in its second weekend? It did very well. If it keeps going and, and does Dr. Strange business, Kevin Feige's a genius. If it didn't, he'll have to make a change. I bet Waldron sticks around. The jury's out on Loveness. I mean, it was interesting. But but I got to ask. Kevin Feige and Big Pop Iger give you a call and say, hey, Rob, we're, we're kind of torn right now on whether to keep these two writers or, try, or move on to other writers. Break the tie for us. What do you think we should do? I would say no. I mean, the thing about no, what? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't let them write your Avengers movies okay. or Kang Dynasty because if you look at Marcus and McFeely, who wrote, yeah, Ave- the they, they wrote the Avengers movies and they came out of the Captain America movies. They also wrote things like Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. They have a they have a pretty big history writing giant films, and writing a giant movie that has a, a, an amazing ensemble cast is not an easy task. And these guys work their way up. I believe Marcus and McFeely wrote Winter Soldier, I think. And, I mean, they prove themselves. And I think the problem with the the multiverse storylines is they're just hard to grasp. They're hard to make because they're hard for the audience to grasp. Whereas, you know, you already ask enough from superheroes from an audience to make them believable. But when you put unbelievable characters in an unbelievable world, it's doubly difficult to get an audience to be engaged because you have to explain all that to them. Like who knows what a probability storm is until you see one, you know? And I, I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see if they stay on it. But right now they're Kevin Feige brought him in. Clearly they work with him. Well, they work with the studio. Well, but we'll see what happens with how quantum mania shakes out. But I would imagine Waldron's going to stay. All right, Chris, uh, I mean, again, we you'd never want to take opportunities away from people. You want to see what they can do. But we are talking about the two most important upcoming films that Marvel has mm. in Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty. If the call were made to you and say, Chris, you need to make this decision for us. Do mm. we stick with Waldron and Loveless 
Do we, while we've got a lot of time still, do we make a change at the writers? Do we keep one, Lucy? I, I don't know. What would you recommend to them? I would say, do? Kevin Feige, I have not seen this movie, so I can't objectively tell you anything. Right. So the biggest thing for me, though, and I'm going to stick by what I've said before, is it made so much sense to me that they hired these guys. To y'all's point of, you know, Rick and Mar Morty handling a lot of these same ideas, this made so much sense to me. The Citadel or the Wall and Solar Opposites, these are concepts that are so similar to the Chronopolis. And... All of those scientific bits, all the jargon, all the jokes just seemed to me like it fit for Ant-Man. So jury's still out for me because I got to go see this. I've heard I've heard from some other people that they've had more fun. I don't know. I got to go check it out. But once I uh, know all that, I'll weigh in. All right, guys. The question is for you. What do you think about this? Do you think that considering the kind of lack of feature film experience for both of them and the sample size that we've had to taste so far, do you think, you know what? Just follow the course, follow this through, have Loveness and Waldron write these upcoming Avengers movies, or would maybe you pull the trigger and make a change at writer right now? Not saying that, that these two can't actually continue on and make other great stuff, but maybe not an Avengers thing right now. I don't know. How do you guys feel about it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, uh, let's move on to this. Last night, besides the An Evening with Campia, Harloff, and Elba, there was another big event in the world of entertainment. The Last of Us, episode six, Bruh. aired last night. Now, a little bit later today at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, that'll be 6 p.m. New York time, we're going to be doing our Last of Us open spoiler discussion after show. So that's where we'll talk in all the beautiful details about the episode. You can come on back and join us for that. For now, we're going to talk about it kind of in a non-spoilery way. Um, last night's episode, again, coming off of the way episode five ended, oh my God, with, with Henry and Sam and just the stunning turn of events there that just, even, whether you knew the story or not, left everybody gasping and heartbreaking and ugly crying across the world. How do you follow that up? You follow it up with a pure character story. And I will tell you what, I think episode six, and this is going to surprise some people, I think it might be my favorite episode of the season so far wow. because it was all character. And primarily, it was all Joel and his character. And the episode, again, without going into spoilery details, the episode does a couple of things. Lesser writers, lesser shows, and lesser movies, our heroes are often infallible. And they're powerful. And they're strong and, all, and and a lot of things that heroes should be. And certainly this show, The Last of Us, has shown Joel to be those things. But this episode to me was a huge reminder. These characters are human. And we see Joel struggle. And at the end of the day, there's a particular scene where he's talking to his brother. And then he walks out of the room and something happens. And I remember I was hit with this big realization of the show is reminding us that Joel after 20 years is still a very, very broken man. He has never recovered from the loss of his daughter. He has never been able to deal with, come to terms with, come to grips with, or move on from the death of his, of his daughter. And as we're watching this movie, particularly there's a great scene with him and his brother where oh that I, I I was more than I was in the Henry and Sam scene. I felt like I was on the verge of tears. And again, it was just really emphasizing again, guys, don't forget our hero, 
he is a very broken human being. And he himself is coming to terms, he's finally maybe coming to terms with the fact of his own brokenness. And I was watching this episode and I was hanging on every damn word, every interaction, including like after, you know, Joel's wrestling with his brokenness, an interaction he has with Ellie, which is just moving and heartbreaking. And God, this show, I often talk about, you know, film franchises need to learn to change levels, right? Like that's MMA talk for, you got to switch, change levels here and there. Last of Us, episode to episode, is constantly changing the levels, keeping us on our toes, surprising us, uh, hitting us emotionally out of left field when we weren't expecting it to come. And that's why, to me, while you can make the argument not a whole ton happens in the episode, and, and I, I don't refute that, to me, I think it might be my favorite episode of the season so, so far because it was so much about character and looking at the human condition, the reality of being human and the brokenness that we carry with us. I I was moved. I, I, would, I thought it was beautiful. I absolutely loved it. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to see last night's episode of The Last of Us. What do you think about it? Uh, it was extraordinary. And for me, you know, there's two scenes. There's a very famous scene from the game that they recreated, but it was the scene with his brother when he finally comes clean and explains what happened. Pedro Pascal's performance in that scene was extraordinary. And it's basically him in his face. You know, he wasn't yeah. moving. He was sitting down talking to his brother. And, you know, that's a hard thing to do for an actor. And I think what's really interesting to me when I was watching this, I know there's a lot of people out there that are on the fence about this adaptation. And they'll say things like, you know, there was no action in this movie. There were in this episode, there was no clickers in this episode. You know, there was, there was, and yeah, try not to give details about the episode. Uh, well, I mean, it was, it was all, like you said, it's all about character and that's what the game is about. And that's what this story is about. Um, and, and I, I was, I, I was like, this might be one of the greatest adaptations of one thing into another medium that I've ever seen video game or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm just looking at this and I know that there's a lot of people because you know, when you're playing a game, they has there has, there has to be gameplay. This has shown that you can make a, a tremendously faithful adaptation to a video game in another medium that actually is not the game, but is the game mm. and people that love the game have to look at this and go, and I've been amazed this accentuates the game itself and it's an incredible faithful adaptation, but it's not the game because gameplay is what a video game's about. Not so much story. And even though the story's there, we imbue the game story with more emotion than's really there. Cause we don't get a lot of it you get. And so when you get the cutscenes, it's really impactful. But in this to watch an actor's face for five minutes talking to you, and it's a human being. It's not a CG. It's not a motion capture character. Not to say that that's not easy to do. It's not. But it was amazing. And I, I was just, this kind of drama, it doesn't matter whether it's in a post-apocalyptic show. You don't get this kind of acting and drama in many things. And this is an extraordinary television series. And every week, dude, I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they going to destroy me emotionally? Are they going to make my heart hurt? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, what kind of an emotional turmoil am I going to feel after this hour's over? I can't remember the last time I felt that way about anything. And it happens every episode. Uh, and I couldn't believe how much tension I felt 
And again, I'm not going to, this doesn't give anything away. In a simple scene of Ellie with a puppy. And I, I, I dude, can't even believe how much dude, stress and tension dude. I felt in that moment. Anyway, Chris, you had a chance to check out uh, the new episode of The Last of Us. What did you think about it? Oh, man. I mean, Rob, you kind of nailed it. I went from having a big Last of Us party every Sunday to, I don't want to watch this with you guys. I want to <laughs> be alone with my feelings. <laughs> um, this was a great episode. I wouldn't say this is my favorite. I still am Team Bill and Frank. I think that episode was one of the That's best. That's one of the best of episodes of television. It's so good. In so many years. But this was phenomenal. This was so well done, and the beat for beat video game moments were done so so well. There's a very specific scene that that many people are familiar with. It's something that I make my class watch every time we do mocap to be like, look at the nuance, look at what you can do with motion capture, and for them to have that translate to film so so well is just phenomenal. This is Pedro Pascal's Emmy campaign episode. He is so good in this. And Bella really, really steps up too. She gives him all this energy for him to really hit those emotional moments. It's so, so well done. There's just one thing at the end where I went, well, that's stupid. And we'll talk about that in the spoilers later. Yeah, if you guys will uh, come on back and join us for that at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, that's 6 p.m., New York time. We hope you guys will come back and join us for our Last of Us open spoiler discussion show. But guys, now the question is for you. Did you guys have a chance to see the new episode of Last of Us? I This show continues to, like you said, this whole series is an ongoing Emmy campaign. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm just absolutely floored by this. I'll tell you what, Succession has got its hands full this year uh, with a very, very serious contender in The Last of Us. And I love what you said. This isn't just clearly the best video game adaptation of all time. This is one of the best adaptations, period, of any medium. I, I, dude, in any from any translation from one medium to another, I'm stunned every week by this show. What do you guys think? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our final main topic here today, shall we? And that one is this. You know, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has now come out. The newest MCU film is now in theaters. Now, when we were talking last week about what their box office projections were, they were talking about anywhere between $95 million alone. They said could go as high as about 105, but the expectation was around 95, which would have made it the biggest of the Ant-Man franchise so far. Because I believe the first one made in the 50s, the second one made around 74, 75 million. If it hit 95 or a little bit more, it would be the biggest in the box office. Well, it's now official. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has made $104 million on its official opening weekend. Now, don't mind this headline. This is 120. That's including the extra holiday that they're forecasting for. But the actual proper opening weekend, the biggest in Ant-Man's history, at $104 million, which exceeds, at least by a little bit, the expectations they had uh, going into the film, which is absolutely great. Now, the question, though becomes was that great enough because we're talking about at 104 million dollars and again re-emphasizing that makes it the biggest in ant-man's franchise but how should we look at that 104 million dollars well if we actually go back and start looking at okay let's take the environment into consideration let's take the context what are the comparables what has been coming out this past year that we can compare it to. And unfortunately, the comparisons 
don't look all that great when you start holding up Ant-Man and the Wasp compared to other comic book films that have come out this year. Let's go over to the classroom for a second. Take a look at this. All right. First up, well, let's compare it to one of the big other Marvel films that came out recently, Black Panther 2. Well, that opened with $181 million. That's like an 80% more than what Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did. Now, now, granted, Black Panther, of course, was Black Panther, even though this one didn't have its star or its main character, but it still made about 80% more. Okay, what's another film that came out in the last year, a comic book movie film? Again, sticking with the MCU. Well, Thor Love and Thunder made $144 million. That's, again, about 42-something percent more than Ant-Man and the Wasp. And this was not the strongest movie, but still, it's a Thor movie. Everybody loves Thor, so everybody was excited about it. Okay. Well, then, as we keep going back, there was another Marvel film in the last year, and that's Doctor Strange 2. That made $187 million opening weekend. Okay. Well, then we look at The Batman, which uh, Taylor, you can look up the exact number for me. I'll change it if I have to, but that was somewhere around $140 million. So non-Marvel, first film in its installment, you know, battling against some obstacles of some people were apprehensive about Twilight Boy being the star of it, which I thought was a great casting, but that some confusion about Batman, a lot of people not really loving the state of the Batman of the DCU. Do we get a final number on that Batman so opening the weekend? opening uh, weekend for the Batman was $134 million. Okay, so 134, I was off by 6 million. So 134 million. So still over 30% more than what the third film of this franchise, supposedly the first really big marquee appearance of the big baddie of phase five and six and whatever moving forward with Kang the Conqueror. And it still made more. Now, when you really go into it, the only movies, comic book movies of the past year that Ant-Man and the Wasp with its $104 million opening weekend compares fairly to or favorably to has been Black Adam and Morbius. Uh, Black Adam, of course, with its $67 million opening, Morbius with the $39 million. So yeah, if you compare it to Black Adam, that's a favorable thing. Hey, Black Adam had the biggest movie star in the world, and it did considerably better than it. Uh, Morbius was, well, Morbius, um, and it obviously did considerably better than that. But again, when you compare it to the serious comic book movies that have come out in the last year, whether they're DC or Marvel, Black Panther, Thor, Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange, The Batman... That $104 million suddenly doesn't look all that great. So this really is a story of two perspectives, right? Because on the one perspective, you can say, well, Ant-Man and the Wasp kicking off Phase 5, bringing in Kang, made less than all the other major comic book films in Black Panther, Thor, Dark Strange, The Batman. Of course, better than Black Adam and, and, uh, and Morbius. But on the other perspective... Hey, listen, studios love seeing franchise do this. And maybe it's not doing this to the MCU as a franchise as a whole, but for within just the Ant-Man movies, it is the best result it ever had by a considerable amount. Because I think the last one made like 74. The first, first one, one made 57. What's that? The first one opened with 57. Yeah, the first so. one 57. The second one 74 or 75. Yep. This one made like $30 million more. So again, it's a story of two different perspectives. Rob, let me ask you. If you're sitting in the, the high tower over at Marvel right now, which perspective are you focusing on right now? The fact that it, by a considerable amount, is the biggest opening for the Ant-Man franchise, but when compared to the other major comic book films that have come out in the last year, 
not faring as well. How do you perceive it? I think it's a great result for this film because like you said, the franchise, it's more than well, doubled the money of the first one. And as you look at how a franchise works, that's amazing. Ant-Man has never been a marquee character in the Marvel comic True. universe. And so these other characters, Black Panther, uh, uh, all the Thor, Batman, Doctor Strange, these are all marquee characters. Much, much high pro higher profile, higher profile characters. And so that Ant-Man is 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 getting higher has been his profile even in the marvel cinematic universe outside of his own films he's not he's 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 a secondary character he doesn't usually i mean he took front and center he saved the world in endgame because he was able to get out of the quantum realm and tell the avengers yo we can time travel through the quantum realm but even then he wasn't front and center to that it was yeah, the other avengers. really did it yeah i mean so what's going on here and the fact is the general audience they don't know who kang is this is the first time people are Kang. Why are we? So, I mean, it's funny because we, as pundits and 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 imagination connoisseurs and people that have read comic books their whole lives, know who Kang is because he's a big player in the Marvel universe for a long time. But the regular audience doesn't know who he is, so it's not like they're going to go, "Ooh, we can't wait to see Kang." So the general audience, I think, this is a good. And when you look at this, the general audience is, I think, liking this movie more than a lot of us diehards. Um. And the movie did well worldwide as well. So it had an overall pretty great opening, I think, for this movie. They got to be happy with it. To play devil's advocate, though, like Guardians of the Galaxy, who nobody had heard of, with uh, Ronan the Accuser as your villain, which nobody had ever heard of, it opened to $170 million. But uh, again, you're right. When you look at the last two Ant-Man films, you are seeing this in, in its box office results. Anyway, Chris... When, when you look at this, great for comparing it to other Ant-Man films, not great when comparing it to the other box office films that have come out this year, which is the perspective you kind of look at it from? I mean, I'm a glass half full person anyway, so I think that this is good. I think that it's showing upward trajectory. And what really matters here is, is that this is going to have legs. I mean, despite hearing really, really poor critical review... People are going out to see this. Audiences are enjoying this. And we've seen that a lot lately with critics not really digging a superhero film and the audience is still showing up and having a fun time. And this is why, you know, it's up to you guys. No matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone on this panel says, it's up to you to decide if a movie is good and of your liking, right? And I think that's what we're going to really keep seeing is if people keep going to the theaters to see this, that's where Marvel's going to know it's got some success and obviously making more of its money back. Let me, so let me put it out to Rob, you alluded to it, but let me throw it out to you guys. Mm-hmm. Over or under 55%, what will the second weekend drop-off be for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, over or under 55% drop? Rob, what do you think? Over. Over a 55% drop. Chris, what do you think? Under. Under a 55% drop. I'm going to go over, but not by a ton. Not by a ton. Maybe 60. Yeah, maybe 60, which, by the way, 50, 50 to 60% drop second weekend is a reasonable second weekend drop when you get over 60 percent, that's when you get a little bit concerned under 50 percent drop you got to be thrilled anywhere between 15 6 percent, i think is a reasonable percent drop drop it so i'm going to go over 55 percent, but not by too much you know it's interesting to me about this movie because the first two ant-man films especially for the critical establishment like there's a critic i've been reading for decades named jeff wells and he really liked the first ant-man movie i love that movie he hated this movie and I think that that's a good indication of, of critics because if you're not predisposed to loving comic book films, and he's not, and the fact that he loved the first Ant-Man movie is quite 
atypical for him. But this movie has got to be if you're if you're part of the critical establishment that goes to foreign films that goes to art house movies, you come to this movie. I can only imagine it's like somebody banging on your head because of Ooh. all the crazy quantumness and the colors. The Ant Man movie again was a heist film. It was set in San Francisco in mostly real locations and a man shrinking down. Easy to understand. You get to this movie, I think most critics like. What am I even looking at? Yeah, but it's not just that because I, you and I are both predisposed to this kind of movie and we were like, eh. Right, but but that means that we're maybe halfway there. But imagine a critic that's not predisposed to loving something like this and especially somebody that liked the first couple Ant-Man movies because they were superhero movies that were contained and easily understood. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I agree because a guy like Jeff Wells, who's been around this business a long, long time. Long time. Decades. They, they know how to recognize a good movie I mean, it's still a subjective personal opinion, of course, right? Yeah. They're no more authoritative than anybody else, but they know how to recognize a good movie through the gobbledygook, as you would say, of whether it's time travel, multi-dimension, a multiple personality, or all types of wackiness. They've seen it before, so. But, but you know, at the core, I think, I think like if you showed Pauline Kael this movie, or you showed what what they're looking for in cinema is the great truths of mankind. You know, they're looking to see to see how 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 is the is the truth of our lives today illuminated by great cinema? Is Ant-Man Quantum Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania? Is it dealing with the, the big picture? I mean, other than the heroic notions of of we have to defeat the evil and survive, this is not Antonioni's ennui trilogy. You know, I'm not seeing La Note La Ventura or the Eclipse in this. I'm not seeing Ozu movies in here. I'm I'm not seeing Rauchamon. I'm seeing not even Amelie, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. You go to Quantum Mania, man. I can imagine it would be like taking my mother to a Ramstein concert. That's what I would imagine. My mother would be looking at me after five minutes going, why the hell did you bring me to this movie? Lost. And she probably would have loved the first Ant-Man. Yeah, and I you think know? those were, I, I said, like, the, you're mentioning it's not Amelie. It, it's not even Captain America Civil War. It's no. not even the first, it's not that, anyway. Because, yeah, you can understand that. Any yeah. any critic's going to watch Civil War and understand it's got Robert Redford. They're harking back to 70s conspiracy thrillers. Yeah. Like, you know, whether it's All the President's Man or the Parallax View with Warren Beatty, whatever, it's all good. But this? But see, that's where I'm going to be really curious because I was going into this movie and we, we were looking at the trailers and I said, part while I like the trailers, part of me wonders, is all the multiverse all the quantum realm, all the CGI slobber fest, is that going to appeal as well to the average film film goer? And I think the real proof of that is next weekend. Next weekend. Because if it stays in that 50 to 55 to 60% drop, we'll say, okay, it did all right. I think if we see a drop more than 60%, we're going to say, the audience didn't want to go back and watch multiple times and they didn't want to bring more people to see it with them. And the question earlier that you asked about the writers, Waldron and Loveness, uh, they need to make sure that all of this gobbledygook, the the, the timey whiny, well. yeah. You need to make sure that the audience, the more characters you bring in, yeah, you really need to ground this stuff in some kind of recognizable human experience, because you're going to spin off. Even we are not going to be able to keep track of it all, and it's it's a, it's a risk. All right, guys. Question is for you. 
What do you think about this? Ant-Man and the Wasp, on the one hand, its opening weekend of $104 million does not compare favorably to other big comic book films that have come out in the past year, whether that's a Batman or a Doctor Strange or whatever. However, in terms of its own franchise, it's it's another significant step forward. First one in the 50s, second one in the 70s, this one $104 million. That's got to be looked at optimistically. How do you approach it and look at it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we are now going to open up the super chats and start taking your live comments and questions. Remember guys, please do not send in any spoiler filled questions regarding the last of us. You can save that for our after show a little bit later. So you guys can go ahead and start firing those in now. But before we get to those, we're going to take another couple of moments here and thank a couple of more sponsors of the John Campy show today, our friends over at masterclass. And of course, my mobile service provider, Ryan Reynolds, own mint mobile. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Masterclass. Masterclass offers classes on a wide variety of topics, all taught by world-class instructors at the very top of their fields. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long. And Masterclass is completely accessible on your phone, the web, smart TV, and available via audio mode to listen to classes on the go. They have over 2,500 video lessons from over 180 of today's most brilliant minds. They're all available anytime, anywhere on iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. Now, obviously around here on the John Campus Show, we love our movies. So why not learn filmmaking from Jodie Foster or maybe directing from Ron Howard himself or the great Neil Gaiman doing his masterclass on the art of storytelling. And you guys have heard me talk about my favorite masterclass, Business Strategy and Leadership by Big Papa Iger himself, Bob Iger, the new and returning CEO of Disney. So guys, I highly recommend that you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class. And as a John Campia Show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Just go to masterclass.com slash Campia now. That's masterclass.com slash Campia for 15% off Masterclass. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. You guys know I made the switch over to Mint Mobile a while ago. The process couldn't have been easier and I can't believe that I am spending less than a third of what I was spending on one of the other major carriers before. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in minutes with eSIM. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia that's mintmobile.com slash campia cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at masterclass and of course mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show all right guys with all that down you guys have questions 
we hopefully have answers. So let's dive into it. What do we got in the live chat? There? Sure, he's out. From King Tannic, some support. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, King right. From Matt Boyle. So Olympus has fallen and White House Down both came out the same year. Yeah. I was wondering what worked great for Olympus and what didn't work for White House Down? That, I mean, there's a great tradition in Hollywood of volcano and dante's peak of armageddon and deep impact and deep impact and of course olympus has fallen and white house down i did not care to watch either of those but then i watched white house down i'm like you know what f yeah that movie's fun that movie was a lot of fun white house down was atrociously bad and like, I know we all like to look for formula. What is it that this one, it, one was just a good movie and one was not. Of course, it's all subjective. Maybe you preferred White House Down uh, over uh, Olympus's Fall. I, sure, that's fine. But I mean, for me, one was just a terribly written, not well acted, even though it had Academy Award winner, Jamie Foxx, and a guy who I think has become a very good actor in Channing Tatum. But that movie was just nonsense. I don't know. Do you have a preference between the two? Dude, Olympus has fallen. is genius. Come on, man. I mean, you know, okay, when I was a kid, there was a director named James Glickenhaus, and he went on and he left the business and became a hugely successful Wall Street investor. But he would make these B action movies, The Exterminator, The Soldier, Shakedown, McBain with Christopher Walken that he went and shot in South Africa because he could get the whole South African army. I, is it, am I the only one who just thinks it's the Simpsons character? When we say McBain, I'm sure it's based. I mean, I have to tell you, but I'm James Blickenhouse would make these low budget movies. He knew what he was making and he delivered the goods. And it was like, this is awesome. I mean, watch the exterminator. It's got one of the great beheadings in cinema history, but the, the, okay, when, you watched, right on that. when you watched, when you watched, right. <laughs> when you watched, when you watched Olympus has fallen, right? That movie's awesome. You want this thing to be over the top. You want the villains to be bad. You want the, the threat to be dire. You want Ger Gerard Butler to come in and kick some ass. And everything that you wanted from that movie, that's why it's got a great highfalutin title. Olympus has fallen. Dun, dun, dun. Everything that that movie promised it gave you. I love it's it. So White House Down was goofy. Yeah. It was just goofy. <laughs> and the special effects they shot on, 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 on a green screen stage, and you could tell. <laughs> All right, what's next? Look at that. Come on, man. That's what I'm talking know, about. Male bonding this. and its finest. I want to watch 10 hours of you talking about this movie. I'm Come here on. for it. Hell yeah. <laughs> from, <laughs> from Sin Vendetta, who sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you so much. Hey, John, last night was awesome getting to see you, Greg and Harloff, on stage, while also getting to finally meet you, Ray, Greg Alba, John Humphrey, and more. Thank you for putting last night together. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for coming. It was really cool having people come up to say up to me, like because we were taking pictures afterwards, come up to me and say, "Hey, I'm so and so." I'm like, "Hey," it's like you might know me as this, <laughs> and then being able to say, "Now I can put a face to it." Right. And Sin Vendetta was one of the guys who was kind enough to come out last night, and it was great meeting you too. You know, we we had a blast. Like me and Harloff and Greg, we were sitting in the green room. Uh, uh, backstage with what's the guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm again? Jeff, Jeff Garland. Jeff Garland. We were sitting in the green room with Jeff Garland, who had just been up with uh, John Mulaney earlier and talking and hanging out. And, and me and Christian and Greg were just all like, because the three of us have, have been wanting to do something like this together for a long time. And we were just talking about, I wonder how it's going to go. Are, are we going to have a good time? Is the honest? I mean, I haven't had a chance to ask everyone in the audience yet, but 
we had a blast. Me, Greg, and Christian, we were texting last night. We had an absolute blast. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of what made the evening so great. And uh, maybe we'll do it again come Guardians of the Galaxy time. Mm. All right, what's next? From Suthius, can we attribute Phase 4 and possibly some of Phase 5 overstuffed and mostly luck-laster messiness with Chapek's direction of executive decisions? You know, it's funny, Suthius, somebody last night at the event asked that exact same question. And I would say partially, partially, because part of the reality is, is that a good half of the stuff that we've seen was stuff that was already in motion prior to Bob Chapek taking over Disney three years ago, right? Because remember, James Gunn and Peter Safran taking over DC. We're not going to see the real first effects of that for two years when Superman Legacy comes out, right? So it always takes a while for you to actually see the results. So while I think, and we talked about this last night at the, at the uh, event, there are definitely things that Bob Chapek is responsible for. But it's not all of it. You know, some of it was already in motion prior to him taking over. And I think the first half of that, so... Yes, sort of. So, uh, you know me, I, I'm not, I'm sure Bob Chapek is like a wonderful, wonderful guy, but I was not a big fan of the way he ran Disney. But I don't think you can put all the blame there. I, I think some of that was already in pre-existence before he came on board. All right, what's next? From Chris Miner, I hope Disney and Marvel don't, uh, don't adapt Fox's continuity, schmontinuity policy for when they bought it. I hope the MCU tightens things up and makes things more clear when it comes to time and the multiverse. I, again, I'll talk about it more when we do, by the way, our Ant-Man and the Wasp open spoiler discussion, it was going to be done today, but our schedule is actually really quite packed today. So I'm going to do an Ant-Man and the Wasp open spoiler discussion tomorrow. And when we get into that, I actually have some real MCU continuity issues as well with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. That's not Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's fault, but it really comes to the forefront. Yeah, Fox was, Fox never cared about continuity when it came to their X-Men films. And you know what? It didn't matter. It's like, wait a minute. I thought Sabretooth was this. Nah, who cares? Wait a minute. I thought that mutant was this. Nah, that doesn't matter. Continuity, schmontinuity. They only cared about trying to make the best movies they can. Sometimes they did fantastic. Sometimes they didn't do so great, right? But no, I think Kevin Feige is much more of a a stickler for keeping to canon. Although the more and more films, the more and more convoluted, the more and more difficult that'll become. And for the most part, I think they've done really, really well, but you're starting to see a few cracks that are a little bit concerning. Again, we'll talk more about that in the open spoiler discussion. All right, what's next? From Jai CSC, probably just me, because I'm a little weird, but does anyone else start humming Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry whenever John (laughs) says, Twilight Boy? (laughs) I don't, Jai, but I love that. Um, no, no, I don't. Well, thank but you, like Jai, for that. That will always be Wow. What just happened? That's already mean. You're welcome already. for your new ringtone. Dogs go. throughout Corona just went. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. All right. What's next? From Jeremy Seitz, with HBO's success with The Last of Us adaptation, I would love to see their take on something like Red Dead Redemption 2. Well, I mean, listen. That that was also a well, no, that was Xbox as well, right? That wasn't a PlayStation. No, no, it was, yeah, it was PlayStation. It's on both. Yeah. It is yeah. on both. Okay, so I don't know if PlayStation Studios would have something to do with that, but listen, I'll tell you what, Sony's PlayStation fil- uh, film division, entertainment division, they are killing it with The Last of Us, which makes me, quite frankly, even more excited to see what they're going to do with uh, God of War. Don't forget Uncharted. 
And, and of course, as Ray would want to all have us all remember Uncharted. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Red Dead Redemption 2, though, <laughs> is it doesn't have the, the emotional narrative through line that they're working from from Last of Us. Because that's one of the things. It had really emotional. That bond between Ellie and Joel was at the heart of it. Red Dead Redemption would have to be more of a traditional Western. So yeah, I but I, I mean... I mean, I love Red Dead Redemption Yeah, I, I think the story is quite good. I think the story is quite... It's not Last of Us good. Right. But I, I think good. it's quite good. There's a lot of potential there, I think. I, I Hey, Red Dead Redemption, such a great title anyway. Get Clint Eastwood to direct it. There we go. All right, what's next? From Jay, which of these 80s cartoons could you see adapted into a successful, financially, live-action movie? Yes. Care Bears, DuckTales, My Little Pony. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Honestly, one of the ones there would have, however unlikely, a shot. My, My Little, little pony. pony. My Little Pony. Heck yeah, the well, bronies will come through. The bronies will come. If you build it, bronies will come. Bronies. <laughs> I'll never forget. Did you want them to? The first time I had ever heard the term bronies. For those of you who don't know, bronies is a self-titled thing that adult male fans of My Little Pony name themselves. Bronies. Damn right. And I had never heard of that term. Until one day, Rob walked in the office. And <laughs> Rob came into our lives. No, uh, me and this is Friendship back in the AMC magic, days. John. Back in the AMC days when we had our storage closet office at the AMC Burbank 16, there was the Burbank Film Festival going on. And John Delancey, yep. Q from Star Trek, was just hanging around. He goes, Hey, do you guys mind if I just hang out in your office? Like me and Dennis are there. Like, I'm just waiting for this movie. Can I just hang out? We're like, Yeah. So John Delancey comes in. And we were asking, what have you been up to? He goes, well, you know, it's funny. I just finished narrating a documentary about bronies. And we're like, Dennis and I were like, speak more. Tell what, what, what is a brony? And he went on to explain it. And he said, I'd never heard of this, but it's actually kind of fascinating, this world of this. So I'll tell you what, with the bronies out there, a My Little Pony thing, could have a 3% chance of being super successful as opposed to the other two, which I would say hover around one to zero. But that's my guess. And thank you, John Delancey, for introducing me to bronies. So <laughs> he right, was so. just like, he was just hanging out by the AMC and he, he just wanted to go hang out in the office? Or are you guys knew, kind of were speaking beforehand? No, I, I don't think Dennis, I, like I might not be remembering 100% correct, but I don't think Dennis and I had anything planned with him. I think he was just there <laughs> and just funny. wanted to hang uh, out. He probably didn't want to get away with the Star Trek fans. Yeah, well, know? all the, the yeah, all, all the, the yeah. Star Trek fans. But I think him he was, out in our office with I want to say he was one of the prime movers behind that documentary. I think he was a producer and that it was something that he was unaware of but was fascinated by, which is why he wanted to get involved. Because, you know, they had crossover between Star Trek at conventions. And it was something he was like, what is this? And that's why he did it. <laughs> All right. What's next? It's actually a good documentary. I've never seen it. I should check I have. it out. It's good. From Collins E., Guardians 1 made $94 million opening weekend, not $170 million. Probably made that globally. Oh, oh, oh. I, I, you know what? I The budget of Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, was 170 million yes back in 2014 uh guardians of the galaxy the first one made 94 so there there i've got it up there on my screen now it's back in 2014 yes i my eyes went first to this number down here which is of course the budget not the opening weekend 94 million back in 2014 that that thank you for the correction on that you're absolutely right 
170 right. would have been nice on the first movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very yeah. nice on the first movie. <laughs> All right. What's next? From Sam Fisher, Rob, Gentle Giant put their Moon Knight figure based on Scotty Young work available for pre-order. I, I mean, somebody's already wanting me to spend $200 on a DVD. And so no, I, I, that Is General, your name Robert? That statue's dope. You know, John got me a statue. That Moon Knight statue got me, which has a prized place in the Rob Observatory. Uh, I, I would love to get that General Giant statue's great, too. But, but uh, this man, my disposable income, not so much. Plus, plus we've got those a lot of it's boards. on your desk yeah. <laughs> and that's even without the 18 x-men you had on yeah i moved the x-men back but these are all these three figures alone that figure that's yeah yeah no come on how much how, how much, much was is that? it it's about 400 bucks and what but about that's those a die cast and then these are three Four. each yeah and don't forget the clint eastwood stuff coming Oh my God! Did you see that? <laughs> oh my God! That looked amazing. Oh my God! The dirty Harry and oh and the oh uh, the, the outlaw Josie Wales. Yep. Come yep. on, dude! You know you're gonna bust. Man on with that. no name. Josie Wales, baby. Come on, dude! <laughs> you, I know you. <laughs> what? That Josie Wales figure is dope. Oh Rob's my God! Do no such and Clint Eastwood Easter, <laughs> started his own Twitter. He and, did. Yeah, and then he put that video out when he goes to sideshow. Rob, God didn't you say you Clint ordered Eastwood. a new one of <laughs> Slowpoke Rodriguez? <laughs> Oh, that was a little inside joke from behind. From during. I, I have an honest question. Tell me if you feel feel comfortable answering it, though. Oh, no. Between the statues, the one quarter and the one sixth. Oh. How many figures do you think you've bought over the years? Oh. Not I, currently. Only. Yeah, how many I mean, I don't I've not, I haven't bought a lot of statues in my life. Probably 20. Just that's just the statues. Yeah, but. Oh, I would say six scale figures, a thousand. Oh, yeah, now, yeah, now I, I, that doesn't count when I was a little kid. I started rebuying 12 inch figures when Hasbro was putting out 12 inch Star Wars figures in the late 90s. That's when I started buying mm. figures again. That got me into figure collecting. And the, the Playmates eight inch uh, and, and uh, three and three quarter inch Star Trek figures. But then they just kept getting better. Yeah. So now we live in a world when Hot Toys came out in mid, the mid aughts and they put out action figure kits of the Predators, the aliens. I'm like, these are amazing. And then, you know, I probably have now, I mean, good ones that I would display 500, 500, 600. Oh, wow. That's but they're not all. They're not all hot toys. Right. They're six scale. Right. And, you know, some of those uh, and they're different because I buy a lot of uh, third party stuff and. Used stuff. I love the uh, McFarlane toys in the 90s too, the spawn ones. Those were awesome. some good ones. Those they had some really good ones. That first yeah. spawn figure is amazing. Yeah. But you know, it's it's now I'm gonna die soon, so why should I say let's keep going here? What's why next? You just like me to be sad. <laughs> Terrible. The fusion bros. John, can you explain your love for WandaVision? Blech. That's rude. But thinking Loki is just all right, WandaVision is a bad show. Ooh. Listen, you. you are more than entitled to your wildly ridiculous opinion. I mean, look, Blah. it's all, I'm not going to sit here and go in, in into, I'm not going to sit here and spend 20 minutes of going into the absolute brilliance of WandaVision. But listen, it's all subjective. If you don't like the Godfather, you don't like the Godfather. If you don't like Star Wars, you don't like Star Wars. If you don't like WandaVision, you don't like WandaVision. That's all perfectly fine. All entertainment hits us in different ways. WandaVision is one of the most brilliantly conceived of series mixing 
a pop cultural homage to, to the stuff of our entertainment history while incorporating incredible narrative of their existing characters and introducing new dimensions to the overall thing and bringing new characters along the way. Loki is by the very definition of mid. It had some really good episodes, had some kind of weak episodes, whatever it is, what it is. But again, it's all up to the individual. All this entertainment hits us in different ways. And if the brilliance of WandaVision hit you as not being so brilliant, well, that's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right, what's next? From CJ Rebirth, Super Nintendo World, no words. I'm in total awe. And CJ just got onto uh, Mario Kart. They were putting it in the chat. I'm so excited oh, for them. It, Dude, I bet you're having the best You haven't time. had a chance to go there. No, Gary. but everything I've seen from that, it's amazing. When you go through the teleport tunnel uh, tube to come into the world. It's magical. Like, Anne was instantly in tears. Like, she had tears. Like, it, it's it's really magical. It's, it's I, I Listen, the Harry Potter Wizarding World at Universal is ama- it, it puts it puts galaxy's edge to shame when you go through the portal what does it sound like no there's they don't do a portal when you go through they don't do a because there's a constant flow of people that's oh, all we'd be making but, the sound right but you come out of that tube and into the world and you're like i'm in a mario game this is incredible i mean like again i was just saying that the wizarding world at universal which puts galaxy's edge to shame and i really like galaxy's edge the Nintendo world almost puts the Wizarding World to shame. I mean, it's just wow. the detail and the every nook and cranny is filled with something recognizable. It's it's absolutely incredible. Wow. All right. What's it looks next? Incredible. It's so good. We'll go, Rob. It'll be fun. We'll go visit my bartender there. I There's have a bartender, bartender in Super Mario World. <laughs> well, not I haven't had the drinks there, but I, I have. I'm a regular at a bar at Universal. <laughs> <laughs> Several bars. Somewhere, one of them. You're my kind of girl. <laughs> She brought me back a, like a keychain from her trip to Thailand. That's how close we are now. Wow. <laughs> I spent a lot of time there working on scripts because my old studio used to be like across the street. Oh, that I don't want to hear. Um, and I rub. sent them all to rum. <laughs> Stubble McShave. Tom Hooper still has no listing for movies and development on IMDb. Has he been put in director jail after Cats or has it nothing to do with it? It's hard to imagine oh, that it has nothing to do with it because uh, Tom Hooper is a, make no mistake, he is a fabulous director he is an incredible director Uh, he did one of my favorite films of the past couple of decades in king's speech he is a world-class director but everybody has a bad day at the (laughs) office man and cats (laughs) there there was no winning there, I, I just I don't mean, to be know. fair, come on. I don't know so how you make that a good movie. Right. I, I honestly don't. Easy. I do not know how you make that a good movie. Red right hair. So <laughs> it's just... Um, but no, I think it's a combination because, you know, Mike Myers, Michael Myers did um, Love Guru, oh. right? Which up to that point, Michael Myers could do no wrong. Like he was just killing it with everything. And then he did Love Guru and it, it was just obscenely bad. And I think it was a combination, not so much that, well, now studios didn't trust him because he'd made a ton of hits for them before that. But I think it was a combination of they lost a little bit of trust. And I think Michael Myers spent the next 20 years kind of licking his wounds a bit. And I wouldn't be surprised. Listen, you're talking about a guy who's made movies that have won multiple Academy Awards. I wouldn't doubt it if coming off of that movie, he was just like, you know what? I've got... 75 million in the bank. I'm just going to go away for a while. And so I wouldn't doubt if, if it's part like he just wanted to get away from him and he's licking his wounds. No cat pun intended. 
And maybe like the studio was like, well, maybe we don't want to do another Tom Hooper one so quickly. So I think it's probably a little bit of both. All right, what's next? Was he licking those wounds with a weird cat tongue? Yes. He said no oh. cat tongue was, okay. in, was intended. From James Argenta, big difference between Ant-Man 3 and Avengers 5 is Creighton is a writer, director, while Peyton Reed is only a director. MCU has had a lot of success with writer-directors like Gunn, Whedon, Favreau, and Watiti. They have, but not always. Um, and, and they've had a lot of success with, with just writers and just directors at, at the same time. So it is, I, I honestly don't know if that is going to be a big determining factor in there as we approach it. But I mean, maybe it could. But it, it's interesting because Marcus and McFeely, the writers and the Russo brothers were like a team. Yes. So there was, there was two writers, two directors. I'm sure they really had a great <clears throat> working relationship and interfaced well. I think that's part of it. I mean, the director on a Marvel film will always have input on the story direction. And obviously, the biggest determining factor in story direction is always Kevin Feige when he has time to be directly involved with the films, which, of course, he they've said he's not had time to lately. So it'd be interesting to see how that kind of works out. All right, what's next? From Kenzie Brumley. Hi, guys. I heard you mentioned the CGI for Quantumania not being great. Does it make you nervous for the next two Marvel movies, which are cosmic-based? You know, it's funny because you look... Part of the reason I don't like the CGI in Quantumania is just because of the entire, the whole world is CGI. Like right. everything is CGI. And it's all supposed to be this wacky, you know, sort of whatever. And it, it you, where, meanwhile, you take Thor Love and Thunder, right? Which is not the strongest MCU film. It had some remarkable CGI in it. Uh, there were a few shots and things here and there that didn't look so good, granted. But there was also some remarkable stuff, but it wasn't like an all CGI flabbergast fest, right? So I think it's partially conceptual, partially execution. Like, I still don't like the way they did MODOK, but that's a, that's a story for another time. I think you're absolutely right. People have to understand, like, if you can see CGI, it doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, the conception of it all. 100%. It's, you know, it's the, the world itself. No one's ever going to look at anything in Quantumania and go, that looks real. I mean, I didn't like the design of MODOK. It bothered me. Like, I didn't I didn't believe it. I mean, it's so ridiculous to say that I didn't like the design of MODOK. I didn't believe it because MODOK is inherently goofy. Yes. But I didn't, you know, with the little arms, I couldn't get it. Like, they could have made it different. To me, it was the face. And that, that, the, the face, face I, yes. I, I just, I, in a way, it kind of looked like the MCP from Tron back in 1982. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. What's next? From Jay, what are your, y'all's thoughts on Die Hard with Vengeance? When it comes to the third movie and a trilogy being just as great as the first movie, I think it's one of the best. It's it, unpopular opinion. It's my favorite film in the franchise. Bro, it's great. The, the dynamic between Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson in that movie. God, hey, Seuss. <laughs> Zeus. Zeus. I... I love that movie. It's great. I mean, Jeremy, I, the, I don't know why one of my favorite villain lines of any movie ever is still Jeremy Irons saying, good Lord. That is like one of my favorite lines from a villain in a movie. And I, I can't explain why it just is. I freaking love that movie. I, I love when they play when Johnny comes marching home as they're ripping off the gold. And, I mean, that movie's dope. The only thing wrong with that movie is is the very end when the helicopter yep, and that the was very a, ends a little. It's a, little a reshoot shaky. because the the original ending of the movie that you can see on the disc takes place a year later when John McClane corners Simon uh, Gruber in a cafe in Europe, 
and blows him up with a rocket launcher. <laughs> it's awesome. That like, would have been the better. That, that would have been the better great. ending. All right, what's next? From Nexus Fuel, John Campia, you must join John Wick, Mr. Beast, and Goku in the Fortnite Chapter 4 Island and stop the destruction of reality. Hashtag John Campia for Fortnite. Yeah, I am never going to play Fortnite again. Um, I played Fortnite, I'd say I played a good 30, 40 games. Always finished in the top 50%, in the top 50. Dang. But maybe in all 40 or 50 games, I think I killed two people. <laughs> it was mostly just a lot of running and hiding. And uh, that got me into the top 10 a couple of times. I got in the top 10 a couple of times. I'm like, I, but once you get in the whole building structures part of the game, I'm like, no, nah, this is this is not for me. So I, I just I just stopped playing it. All right, what's next? From Seconds from Disaster, I love how The Last of Us used cutaway shots to show the character's reaction to what we know obviously happened than show what happened afterwards. That that has been a hallmark of what they've done so far in the entire series. And this episode was no... Yes, it's little visual storytelling decisions like that, Rob, that I think is just another one of those little X factors that just... You can watch it, and maybe I can't put my finger on why this is better than the last thing I just watched, but it is. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's another thing. that That's a trope of the show, and that's a narrative choice because that's the way that, that the, the story brings you along. Like last night, there was a moment that's a perfect example where you go, <gasps> Elizabeth did. We were, I was watching with Elizabeth, and she just went, <gasps> I'm like, baby, it's going to be okay. It's okay. Uh, all right, what's next? <laughs> From Kyle Marcus, just wanted to say hi to the best VO coach teacher, Chris Carr. And anyone else who was in the class this weekend, you guys rock. You guys did rock. There are a whole bunch of Campia people who came to my boot camp, which was five hours long. So thank you so much for doing voiceover with me for five hours. Uh, Daniel, Ken, John, uh, Shaquille, Zachary, and of course, Kyle. Thank you so much. It was really, really fun. You guys kicked ass. It was great. All right. What's next? From Dirk Diggler Stunt Double. Oh, Did, he wishes. Uh, do you guys feel that the next couple of seasons of The Last of Us could fill in the time gap between part one and part two? No, I don't. I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, that listen, that will be a temptation for them. And it's something that I'm sure they've considered and talked about, because if you know anything about part two, big things change. Um, but I, you know what? I don't think they're going to like as controversial as part two of last of us has been i don't care what anybody says it is the single greatest storytelling in any video game in history i think it surpasses that of part one um and i don't think they're going to change that nope i think they'll stretch part two into two seasons but i don't see i mean again i could totally see you have to you have to at least consider that making a second season being a season that happens in between Last of Us Part 1 and Last of Us Part 2. You have to at least consider it. It's only good business sense, but I don't think they're going to do it. Rob, are they going to do that? I don't think so. I mean, look, from what they showed for the coming attraction of next week's episode, they're going back. Isn't that a side story, like the history of Ellie's history or whatever? That wasn't in the first game, but it was in the updated game. Jonathan, didn't they do that? It's called Left Behind, if that's what you're referring to. Left Behind was the, like... Uh, downloadable content yeah the dlc yeah 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 i think that's what they're delving into which i think is very cool i don't know if that's the case it looks that way but um um but i don't know man last of us 2 which i by the way full disclosure have not played but i watched the playthrough in anticipation of of doing these after shows 
I, I and there is a lot of story there, so I could see them doing expanding it to three seasons, but I don't think they're going to cover the time in between. Hmm. All right, it's still a possibility though. All right, what's next? From TJ Perry, so great meeting Jonathan, John, and Ray last night. Also, if any of Anne's friends are single, just saying. <laughs> yeah, Anne was there with a couple of her friends last night too. Um, I uh, I will not repeat the conversations that happened in the car with all of us on the way home last night, but uh, it was, uh, I'll, I'll try to leave. But anyway, no, honestly, thank you for coming last night. We had an absolute blast and we're glad that you were there and we're a part of it. All right, what's next? From Greg Scott Bailey, I think Taylor Sheridan has a secret cameo in Last of Us Episode 6. I'll point out where in later spoiler show. Oh. Huh. I certainly did not notice. I don't know why he would be there, but I mean, if he's... I mean, I think they would have mentioned it in the after in the uh, you know after show wrap up thing, which they did. But hey, it's not an impossibility. Who knows? By the way, I want to go retire and live in that town. Oh, didn't that look great? <laughs> yeah. Again, we won't get any spoilers away, but yeah, it did look wonderful. I it looked go like move it there. was ideal. All right, what's next? Without the quarter set. From Alan Gonzalez, I think the MCU's trajectory is going down. If Guardians doesn't satisfy people, I don't think King Dynasty will do well. Well, remember, there's going to be a large number of films that come out between guardians three and Kang dynasty. Like it's not like guardians of three comes out and then Kang dynasty comes out three months later. I will say that I mentioned this at before on the show. And I said it last night at the event, while I do believe that Marvel, the MCU has been losing its magic. I also believe that it can be recaptured very quickly. And listen, why would any of us, doubt or not give the benefit of the doubt to James Gunn right now. After making the Guardians of the Galaxy films, after making one of the best DC films with his Suicide Squad, after making what was the biggest show in the world for a while with Peacemaker, which is fantastic, why wouldn't we go into Guardians of the Galaxy 3 believing? Doesn't automatically mean it will be great, but at least believing it'll be great. I think it'll be fantastic. And if for whatever reason, Guardians 3 does not deliver, and by the way, the Christmas special completely delivered, Right. But if for whatever reason Guardians 3 doesn't deliver, it's not good for the MCU. But there's still a lot of time between that and when Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars come out. So I, I wouldn't, even if Guardians 3 isn't good, I wouldn't say all, all is lost. Also, you also have to take a look at Love and Thunder, Wakanda Forever, and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. These movies were hits. They made lots of money. Now, we as diehard comic book fans and comic book movie fans, we might find them unsatisfying, but the marketplace is still embracing these movies. Sure, but to play devil's advocate again, they while they are absolutely hits and have made lots of money, they have not, decline is there because they have not been making the money, the average amount of per money. Because remember, the MCU films have been averaging over a billion dollars right. a film. And we're talking like, Three straight, Ant-Man will be four straight in a row that does not hit that mark. So they are below their average now. So, well, but again, just like that, it can be all turned around with Guardians 3. But Spider-Man No Way Home was Was uh, almost $2 billion. Yeah. Almost two. But that was, now we're going back into a couple of years ago. Because Doctor Strange 1 was the 600,000s. And if you go back, I would be curious. I haven't looked at them, but there's 31 movies and I'd love to see how they're ranked by box office. Yeah. All right. What's next? From Devin Lita, I saw Quantumania over the weekend. I'm curious as how Modoc relaxed his shoulders. Again, when it comes to a lot of his body, Modoc's design was very consistent with what we've seen in other iterations, yeah. right? It just to me was just the face. So 
I mean, but when you're in your MODOK, you don't worry about relaxing your shoulders. All right, what's next? From Jamal B. Castro, I'm a huge fan of the original Super Mario Brothers movie. Do you think there will be any references to the old movie in the new one? None. 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 Most of us want to forget it, Jamal, but I love that you love it. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Number one, because I don't. That movie is old enough now that even if they did put in the references, they know the vast majority of the people watching this movie wouldn't get it. Not only because of how long ago it was, but not a lot of people saw it. So, I mean, I, I don't see You don't think they'll that. sneak a little reference in somewhere? I mean, they could. And, and if you Actually, notice it, you notice it. If you yeah, don't. They just put out this animated promotional thing for it that was like a commercial, an 80s commercial for the Mario Brothers plumbing service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you guys see that? Yeah. No. It, so, I, I know, like stuff like that, maybe they could. But I think it'll be subtle. Yeah, oh, totally. I, I think it'll be subtle if they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what's next? From Kurt. I think Catherine Newton as the new Cassie made sense. While on the same tier as Haley Steinfeld or Florence Pugh in terms of popularity, she's definitely on the rise. Young Avengers, anyone? She, listen, I thought Cassie was honestly going to be one of the things that would annoy me about the movie. And to me, that, that character and her performance actually ended up being one of the strengths of the film yeah. for me. Again, is she on the level of Haley Steinfeld? No, but I mean... She's great, and if they are, I still doubt that they're setting up Young Avengers. I know everybody else believes they are, and they very well could be. I still don't believe they are, but if they did, she's clearly going to be the, one of the newest additions to it. Although I think the whole concept is silly, but whatever. All right, what's next? From Carl Bruss, uh, a $20 super chat. Thank oh you so God, much, Oh my God, Carl, just to be supportive. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, man. We appreciate that. From Zach Larson, Rob, here's my pitch. Oh, God. Oh, great. A crocodile named Dongle Dongle set on a journey and has to avoid snails, bees, and hedgehogs. Also, the Pepsi Bismol River? The Pepto Bismol River? It's supposed to be Pepto Bismol, and this is in reference to last night. I did my very first live stream on my YouTube channel. I played a game called Crocs World, which I called Croc a shit because it sucked. There was a river that was pink, like Pepto Bismol, that I kept dying in. But it was so much fun. And thanks to everyone that joined me. All 259 of you. Thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate that. Rob, are you going to produce that? No. It's <laughs> a banger. I did watch some of your live stream this morning, though. Oh, Aww. thanks. I appreciate it. All right. What's next? From Chris Hunt. Saw Ramstein in 2018. One fella... <laughs> hmm? One fella plays keyboard and well, I don't understand this reference and walks on a treadmill for an hour and a half after having fireworks in a bucket poured on him. Ramstein played L.A. a couple months ago. I didn't even know they were He's still together, American. let alone alive. Yeah, they're and Ramstein is a, is a German metal band that does these incredible shows with explosions and fire. I mean, they even call it like if you want to be close to the stage. I, it's called like the fire pit or something. Like, of course. I mean, it's insane. It's I, somebody sent me pictures of the con. It was insane. I should have gone. And they did uh, some Matrix soundtrack. Yes. All yes, right. they did. What's next? From Mickey Bell, DC was called reactionary when their films weren't hitting. Would that label apply to Feige if he dumped the writers now? Ooh. Um, there is a big difference, though. See, in, back in that era when DC was being called reactionary because they were they were overreacting incredibly. They, they were taking long-term plans and then based on very little made a sudden shift, right? We're doing this. These are our plans. This one thing didn't work. Change everything, right? They, there was a couple of year window where that was their big thing. With, um, with fighting where Marvel is right now, like, remember, there is a deeper thing here. I don't know, like take out Dr. Strange, the multiverse of madness and take out Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I think these are two far too inexperienced writers 
to be doing your absolute flagship movies of the world's biggest movie franchise. Like just that alone yeah. should make you consider. Also, what DC was doing was changing complete directions of their movies and their directions of their stories and everything. This would just be changing up two writers on movies that aren't coming out for a couple of years, not changing the fundamental direction of the MCU as a whole. It, they're two wildly different scenarios. So I, I wouldn't compare those two whatsoever. All right, what's next? From uh, Kali Wally. Well, my brother got what he wanted. He dragged my butt to the theater to watch Winnie the Pooh, and boy, I needed more than a little smack girl of Tennessee honey just to bear it. Ah, so much in that one comment. Yeah, actually, it's funny because I didn't read the article, but one of the bigger sites, not like Hollywood Reporter Variety, but one of the bigger sites out there had an article they put out this morning called The Worst Top 10 Worst Horror Films of All Time. And their thumbnail image was of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Oh. So I, I don't know if that automatically means it was on the list. I didn't look at the list myself. But the reactions to this movie have not been good. Have not been good. Except for that of Taylor. Taylor yep. seemed to like it. I think that had more to do with the fact that, like, the composer took him out for drinks afterwards. No, but, but I filmed my review before I uh, went out to drinks. And I, I had yeah. so much fun with Pooh. Actually, over the weekend, five actors, including the actor who plays Winnie the Pooh, emailed me to set up interviews for my YouTube channel. So those will be coming very soon. Aww. I cannot wait. I love it. They found the one guy on the internet who <laughs> liked Pooh Button Honey. When Taylor Gonzalez loves, he loves unconditionally. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I now, And listen, to be fair, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying the movie's crap. I haven't seen it. So maybe I'll watch it and I'll really like it. Yeah. I'm hey, saying, it's made like $1.8 million. Has Two it, million seriously? dollars. Yeah. Two, yeah. And Two it's million. like, Two million. who's laughing now? <laughs> Who's laughing? That dude in that $17 Winnie the Pooh mask. Yeah, they just probably greenlit right too. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, Blood Winnie and Honey 3, 4, for 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. All right. And guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to those of you guys who sent in those super chats. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Once again, don't forget, a little bit later this afternoon at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, 6 p.m. New York time, we'll be having our Last of Us episode six open spoiler-based after show. And we hope you guys will come back and join us for that. And of course, guys, don't forget tomorrow, come on back for the next installment of the John Campus Show. And also later on in the day tomorrow, we'll be doing our Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, Quantumania open spoiler discussion. I hope if you guys have seen the film, that you'll come back and join us for that. So, for everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, Ray Aura, Taylor Gonzalez, running the show, Jonathan Voico, and of course, Chris Carr. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.